their sin to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who engaged himself before the foundation of the world in the covenant of grace to come into the world in the fullness of the time and die on the cross of Calvary in their room and in their stead. And then the apostle says, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling. The effectual call, though it is the work of the Godhead, is usually considered to be the special work of God the Holy Spirit, wherein he saves us, that is, God, by calling us unto himself, by calling us out of sin, by calling us to a knowledge of Christ and obedience unto his will. It is described here as a holy calling because it proceeds from a holy God and it results in personal holiness and sanctification. In the second place in this text, the cause of the Lord doing this for the saved is set forth first negatively and then positively. Negatively, not from any merit of their own. For we read, not according to our works. And so when God saves us, it is not from a consideration of our personal worth or from any indebtedness on the part of God unto us but rather it is an act of his grace. For positively, two things are said, that he saved us and called us with an holy calling, negatively, not according to our works, for we are not saved by works, but according to his own purpose and grace, showing, first of all, that we are called by the eternal purpose of God's love unto salvation. Now, keeping that passage of Scripture marked, turn to the book of Romans, chapter 8, where this is further opened up in Romans, chapter 8, and verse 30. For there we read, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called... Them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. In that text of Scripture is given to us the golden chain of salvation reaching from eternity past to eternity future, stating that whom he did predestinate in eternity past, he called in time, and whom he called he justified in the righteousness of Christ, in whom he justified, he glorified, looking to the future, to the time of the resurrection of these bodies and the consummation and completion of our salvation. Therefore, the effectual call has its roots in the eternal purpose of God's love. And then secondly, in his grace or free favor. For we read, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ 
before the world began. And so God's free favor, undeserved favor, unmerited favor, was given to the redeemed in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, and that from all eternity. We may deduct from this, then, this thought, that all who partake of Christ's salvation are effectually and irresistibly called by God the Holy Spirit. To understand this subject, let us note, first of all, what the effectual call is. Now, to understand this great truth is to open up the Word of God in many areas where it cannot otherwise be clearly understood. In other words, Scriptures will seem to contradict themselves unless we understand something of the nature of the effectual call. The Bible teaches us that there are two kinds of calling. There is, first of all, a general calling that goes out to all men without discrimination every time the gospel is preached, wherein those who hear the gospel are freely invited to come to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. In other words, every time I or any other minister preach the gospel, or any time any person bears witness to the gospel and invites men to Christ, or calls men out of a life of sinfulness and rebellion to a life of faith and obedience in the Lord Jesus, there is a general calling. However, we must note that the general call is always, without exception, resisted and rejected by mankind. In other words, if all a sinner ever hears is a minister's voice or the invitation of a redeemed friend inviting them to Christ, they never will come to Christ for salvation. The reason for this, of course, is that man is dead in trespasses and in sins. He does not see his need of salvation, and he has no love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, in addition to this general invitation, this general calling of men to repentance, there must accompany that invitation, the effectual operation of the Holy Spirit of God, whereby through regeneration he quickens the dead sinner into spiritual life, gives him an hearing ear, an understanding mind, and a believing heart, wherein that sinner comes to Christ Jesus in saving faith. This means then that all who hear the gospel are called to Christ, but only those who are quickened by the Spirit of God, wherein that Word of God is made effectual and irresistible, actually do come to Christ for salvation. Therefore, this means then that when the gospel is preached, that there are many, many, many persons who hear the gospel but are not benefited 
from it. In Matthew chapter 20 and verse 16, the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking of the general calling when he says that many are called, but few are chosen. Many, many persons hear the gospel, but very, very few ever respond and come to Christ Jesus as a result of hearing the gospel. The effectual call is seen in John's Gospel, chapter 10, where the Lord Jesus Christ is the good shepherd, says, My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. I call them by name, and they follow me. Another they will not follow. Therefore, that is what makes the difference. Because in the effectual calling, whereas there is no voice that comes down from heaven and speaks audibly to your ears, there is an over-persuading power in the Word of God wherein you see your case, you see your danger, you see your lost condition. You see the beauty and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and his crucifixion, and you believe in him for salvation. So let us turn in the next place to note who they are that are thus effectually called. If there is a general calling that goes out to all men, and an effectual calling that goes out with that general calling only to some men, who are these, then, that are effectually called? The answer, of course, is to be found first in Romans chapter 8 and verse 30, where we have already read that those whom God has predestinated, he also calls, and whom he calls, he justifies, and whom he justifies, he also glorifies. Therefore, those who are the called, effectually, are those predestinated in the eternal purpose of God to hear that calling, who are justified in time, who will be glorified in the future. And then in Acts chapter 13 and verse 48, And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. So those who are effectually called, to believe in Christ are those that have been ordained unto eternal life. We may then say that the effectual call, first of all, is given only to members of the human race and not to fallen angels. For the angels that sinned against God have no hope of salvation, but must forever remain in their rebellious attitude, only to be punished with eternal destruction at the coming of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God calls men, then, <clears throat> and not angels. Look at the book of Psalms and Psalm 8, Psalm 8, where we have a description of man and of his task in culture to subdue the earth. And in Psalm 8 and verse 4 we read, What is man, that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man, that thou visitest him? 
implied, implied in that statement that visitest him is a visitation in salvation. Who is man? A creature of the dust. Who is man, fallen now and in rebellion against God, that God would lift him up to the highest pedestal and make him his vice president, so to speak, or his under king to rule over the earth, and then to visit him with grace in salvation. This can never be said of the angels. And though the angels are more glorious than we, God has bypassed them totally so that they never can be saved. In the second place, it must be noted, however, that though the effectual call comes to members of the human race, it does not come to all but to some. For all men are not saved, and only a daydreaming fool would ever pretend they are. Judas Iscariot perished and went to hell. When Christ died on the cross, multitudes were already there. And since then, multitudes have constantly and hourly made their trek into hell to be separated from God. So it's some men that are saved and not all. But when we consider this, we must at the same time remember that the difference that is made is not to be found in the creature. For those who are saved are no better than they who perish in hell. For we are all cut of the same lump of clay, and we are all equally deserving of the wrath of God. That which makes the difference is the grace of God, that he will have mercy upon some, though none deserve it. For by nature we are all alienated from God. By nature we are all under the wrath of God. By nature we are all helpless to save ourselves. Let us note in the third place that whereunto these who are effectually called to salvation are called. By sin, by man's rebellion, he is separated from God, and all union with God has been broken. Therefore, those who are called are called out of the world that lies in the lap of the wicked one, Satan, and lies in wickedness itself. Those who are called out are spoken of as the ecclesia, and we get the word church from this, and it means a gathered company. We have been called out, and we have been gathered together into a community, one with the other, separated from the world's system and its evil, which is in the lap of the wicked one, awaiting the judgment of the Lord God himself. And then I want you to turn to the book of Hebrews, and let us see what we have been called unto, the noble company that we have been called unto in the book of Hebrews. And verse, or chapter 12, and verse, beginning with verse 22. Now, verse 22 is in the passive voice. It reads, But ye are come unto Mount Zion. But literally it reads, You have been brought unto Mount Zion. You were passive in this. 
God's grace brought you. But here's what we're called to, Mount Zion. That's the community of believers. And unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And to an innumerable company of angels. We even are brought into the company of the good angels. So that they are ministering servants unto us in their protection of us from evil and in their sustaining us in trials. We have fellowship, though unseen, with the angels. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, so into the community of all the saved, whether they be dead or alive, whose names are recorded in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. So these are the things that we have been called unto. Full salvation, full forgiveness of sins, full separation from the world's system, and full communion with the saints of God and with God himself. Then let us know further that which makes this call effectual to some when it is not to others. Why is it that when the gospel is preached, two persons can be occupying the same pew in the church, can come from the same background, yea, they can be brothers and so closely related, and one is suddenly set upon by the words of the, of the gospel and smitten in his heart and brought to repentance on the account of his sins. And the other laughs and walks away and says, I don't see what there is to make a fuss about. You can't say that it was advantage. They both had the same advantage. You can't say that it was environment. They both were brought up in the same environment. What is it then that makes the difference? Well, we need to answer this negatively, first of all, and point out that it is not to be found in the piety, nor the ability, nor the seriousness of those who preach the gospel. In other words, a man's salvation does not depend upon my abilities. A man's salvation does not depend upon my own personal holiness and piety. It does not depend upon my persuasiveness. For man does not have the ability to persuade another person into the kingdom of God any more than he can talk a dead man out of his tomb. He's only a voice crying in the wilderness. He can only deliver the word of God. But man himself cannot save. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 at what the apostle Paul had to say about this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 7, there the Apostle Paul says, So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. So you see, it's to be found in God and not in the servant. Neither is it to be found in our own goodness, or the fact that we are more qualified than others for heaven. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
It is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Positively, the answer is to be found in the work of the Spirit of God. You remember what the book of Acts records about the conversion of Lydia? When Paul was preaching that day on the river bank, the Bible says that God opened Lydia's heart, and then she attended to the Word of God. Then she listened to the Word of God. Then she believed the Word of God after the, the Lord opened her heart. So it's the Spirit who quickens. No man can come to me, Christ said, except my Father which sent me draw him. And then he makes the promise, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Therefore the Spirit of God hovers over the hearts of some and gives them life and ability with a hearing ear to hear the gospel unto their salvation. Let us note in the next place what necessity there is for their being such a call. The necessity of this is certainly clear to all who know their natural estate. First of all, the Bible says that we by nature, by natural birth, on the account of our sin, are far away from God, alienated from Him. Now, our circumstance is this. We will be continue to be pulled by the magnet of sin because we are pointed in that direction, going farther and farther and farther away from God unless God himself call us back. And so because we are far from God, separated from God, alienated from God, God himself must take the initiative. He must take the first step and call us unto himself. Spurgeon tells us in his sermons about St. Demas. Now, this is a saint that you don't hear a great deal about, and no wonder I would be embarrassed with him, too. But uh, some men were standing together discussing St. Demas on London's streets one day when there was a dim-witted boy by the name of Tim, I think, listening to the conversation. And what they were talking about was that Demas had been engaged in warfare in defense of the church when he got his head cut off with a sword. And tradition holds that he picked his head up and he put it under his arm and walked 2,000 miles. And they laughed about it, and Tim was looking seriously, and they said, well, we suppose you believe that. He said, there's no problem, problem believing that. Because, you see, if that man was ever able to take the first step by himself, he could go the 2,000 miles without any trouble. The problem with a man with a head cut off is taking the first step, you see. Getting up and taking that first step, he can keep right on walking. Now, the problem with a dead sinner is that first step. He's far away from God. He has no road map back to God. He's in darkness. He's lost. If God doesn't come to him and show him how lost he is and show him the way back home, take the initiative in the first step, man will never come back. He'll just keep right on walking away from God in the wrong dire direction. And then again, the Bible teaches that we are dead in trespasses and in sin. The first thing a dead man needs is life. And so the first thing a dead sinner needs is life, spiritual life. 
And this comes from the Spirit of God in the effectual call. Then when man is awakened by the Spirit of God to know himself a lost sinner, he doesn't know where to go in order to get relief. You'll find that he'll run to prayer, he'll, he'll run to the church, he'll run to good works, he'll run to self-righteousness, he'll run to solitude, he'll run to anything but to Christ. And if man finds out where to go, then he's not willing. Christ said to that crowd that had been following him about one day in John chapter 5 and verse 40, You will not come to me that you might have life. Oh, you'll come to the bread and to the fishes. You'll come to the miracles of hearing and seeing and raising the dead. You'll come to all things that I do, but you'll not come to me. Salvation is coming to a person just as much as marriage is bringing two persons together. It's where one says, I do to Christ, and enters into a covenant marital relationship with him. Therefore, man's got to be brought to Christ. And if man knows that he must come to Christ, he becomes timid because of his conscience, fearing that Christ will not receive him, and so he won't venture himself upon him. Christ invites sinners, the worst of sinners, to come. He delights in saving the very worst. But man will not come until the Spirit of God makes this word effectual. And so let us come to note the nature of the effectual calling. There is a twofold work of the Holy Spirit upon the redeemed soul. Ineffectual calling. One is upon the understanding, and the other upon the will and the affections. If man is ever to be saved, he's got to get his thinking straightened out. And the only way in which a man can get his thinking straightened out is for the Spirit of God to do it. Turn to Ephesians with me, please. Ephesians chapter 5. The book of Ephesians, chapter 5, and in verse 8, we read, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord, walk as children of light. doesn't say you were simply in darkness, said you were darkness. You and I, unconverted, are darkness itself. Our minds have been blinded by Satan so that we cannot understand the truth of God. So the first work in the effectual call by the Holy Spirit is that of the illumination of the understanding. Where light is shined in upon the understanding or upon the mind, and the law of God reveals that we are in a lost conviction, uh, condition. Christ said, when the Spirit is come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The way in which the Holy Spirit convicts men of sin is by the holy law, showing what God requires, showing wherein we have broken that law. And then secondly, of judgment, 
which is the revelation of our misery. When the Spirit of God shows us that we are under the judgment of God, that we are under the wrath of God, that we cannot satisfy God, then we are brought into a miserable state. No man has ever been saved, and no man ever will be saved, until, first of all, he's been brought to see his misery, to know that he's lost, and that by nature he's an enemy of God. But let a man get lost, and Christ will find him. Let a man's heart be convicted of sin, and he's free to come to Jesus Christ for salvation. So the Spirit makes use of the law. Do you remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 7 and verse 7, I believe it is? Paul said that if I had not known the law, I would not have known sin. The law came to me and said, Thou shalt not covet. And I found myself to be a covetous person. And the law killed me. And when it killed me, then the Spirit of God made me alive. So the Spirit of God uses the law, first of all, in its precepts to show how we have not obeyed, and then in its threatenings and its curse to drive us away from the law for any hope of salvation and to the Lord Jesus Christ. Every person that has ever been effectually called by the Holy Spirit has been brought under conviction, conviction of sin, conviction that they're lost conviction that they cannot save themselves. Now, this conviction is not to the same degree in all persons, but to some degree or another. Any person that has ever been effectually called has experienced Holy Spirit conviction, wherein the Spirit of God has shown them their need of salvation. Therefore, the sinner by the Spirit of God in this effectual call is shown the sins of his life, of his thoughts, of his words, and of his nature, that he is only fitted for evil. And the sinner is also convinced of his absolute need of the Lord Jesus Christ because the Spirit convinces of righteousness. And our righteousness is to be found only in Jesus Christ, who came into the world, obeyed the law, and established the the requirements of that law in terms of righteousness, and then died under the curse of the law on the cross of Calvary. And then secondly, in this effectual calling, there is not only an illumination of the understanding, but there is also an enlightening of the soul in Christ, not only to sin, but to Christ as well, that Christ is able to save the guiltiest of sinners that Christ is willing to save the greatest of sinners. And then the Spirit of God works not only on the mind to show sin and to show Christ who we are and who Christ is, our miserable condition in sin and our hope of salvation in Christ, but in the effectual call the Holy Spirit operates upon the will also. For man by nature is not willing to come to Christ. So in Psalm 110 and verse 3, we there read, Thy people shall be made willing in the day of thy power. I'll tell you this. When God saved me, I was not running after him. 
I was running away from him. I was denying his existence. I had no will to come to him. But when he broke down my heart and revealed his glory, I was more than willing to come. But he is the one who exerted a power and made me willing in the day of his power. I want you to turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 36, to the covenant promise there, and underline with me verse 26. Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 26, where God says, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments, and do them. Well, that, my dear ones, is a survey in general of the Bible's teaching on the effectual call. We see from this that the happiness of man depends upon the effectual calling of the Spirit of God. For only here are we made partakers of salvation in Jesus Christ. Apart from this calling, we never will come to the Lord Jesus. And we may also see the misery of those who are not effectually called. They are left to themselves, to their own desires and pleasure, to the power of their own blinded minds, and there is an abiding absence of the power of the Word of God upon their hearts. And I don't think that there could be a more miserable condition for man to be in than for the Word of God to have no power in his life, to have no effect upon his life who will in the end, in God's time, hear those woeful words from the Lord Jesus Christ, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, I never knew you. Let us pray. Our Father and God and Creator, the one who has given us our being, and hast brought us to a knowledge of Jesus Christ through this effectual calling. We thank Thee for Thy long-suffering and forbearance, that Thou didst not cast us away while we were yet in our sins, but that Thou didst plead with us in the day of salvation through the preaching of Thy Word. Take these words, O Lord, and strengthen and edify and build up those who are saved, instruct their minds and their hearts. We pray that thou wilt make thy word powerful to bring conviction to the hearts of those that are yet lost, that they might see their need of Jesus Christ by having revealed unto them their sinful rebellion, that they might see their danger of the coming judgment and fly unto thee for refuge and safety. We pray Thee to bless us in the remaining part of this day, that we might serve Thee with honor. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.